Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Harris Cherokee Resort. Find us online at caesars.com slash Harris Cherokee. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Let me begin today's show with a warning, and I'm only like maybe 20% kidding about this. There's a very good chance that by Friday I may be doing the show from home. If I don't get some gas in my car, uh, last night I went out there to try to find some gas, uh, waited an hour, ended up not getting it. I, I keep reading the news about how there's no need to panic because there's no gas shortage, and yet none of the gas stations around where I live seem to have any gas right now, or at least if they do, for a couple of minutes, it's like an hour-long line. You can't get there, but uh, nonetheless, we'll make do with that. We'll see how it goes, but it is certainly interesting times in which we live. Let me give you something, though, to kind of take your mind off all that. Let's talk some Georgia football here for a moment, because we have been in the midst of started last week continue this week looking at all those draft eligible players for Georgia and we've kind of gone position group by position group last week was the offense quarterback what we said about JT Daniels his need to maybe throw more touchdown passes wide receivers the need to kind of find a couple of guys there in that position group who can play at or near a first round level to really give yourself the best chance of winning a national championship we talked about running backs and the way that you're not really seeing Georgia running backs right now in the kind of early look ahead to the 2022 mock drafts or any of those kind of you know big lists that exist out there this time of year but that doesn't mean that those guys can't flourish over the course of their you know season here in 2021, there are certainly recent examples in the SEC where that has been true. We talked offensive line a little bit, both on Friday's show, then again with John Stinchcomb on Monday. Thought that was really interesting. All of this kind of built around the idea that you better find yourself about a half dozen or so first-round picks, either in the very next NFL draft or a future NFL draft, if you really want to believe that your team has the best chance of winning a national championship. And so we've been doing defense this week. We kind of mentioned Kobe Dean at one point in time as someone who kind of flies under the radar of upcoming draft-eligible Georgia players better than some people probably realize. I think, you know, maybe not getting as much attention as he deserves. We talked yesterday about the defensive line. I guess primarily the the kind of swing year that it could be for Jordan Davis at the top end of maybe someone who really not just gets drafted in the first round, but potentially even moves to the front half of the first round with a very big year, but also the chances that maybe his game doesn't come to full shape and form the way that kind of the draft scouts are looking for him to do that with. So we've done all those position groups over the course of the last few days. Today, I want to look at the Georgia secondary for a moment. Now, when it comes to the NFL draft, this may be the position group for Georgia right now that we spend the least time discussing at least for the 2022 draft, because there is a lot of talented players who don't have a ton of experience for Georgia at that secondary for this upcoming year. But that doesn't mean there aren't some interesting names to consider here when it comes to this Georgia secondary. I want to focus in on one in particular right now. First of all, it was great to see the Georgia transfer, Tyke Smith, who let's not forget was an All-American a year ago playing at West Virginia. Smith had a great tweet the other day showing you how eager he is to get to the University of Georgia. He says, I finished my last semester at West Virginia had a 3.2 GPA. So first of all, good job for Tyke getting it done in the classroom. That's better grades than I got when I was in college. I can promise you that. But Tyke Smith says, I also can't wait to get to the University of Georgia. And you love the idea of a guy who played at such a high level a year ago for Jamal Adai there with the Mountaineers. Uh, saying, now I'm chomping at the bit to kind of start the next phase of my football life, heading there to the University of Georgia. You already know that when it comes to Smith, Georgia's getting a pretty good player, 
But man, there's some stuff out there that really kind of gives you an idea of just how good overall Smith has a chance to be for the University of Georgia. In fact, let me show you this from Pro Football Focus. So they had a story the other day, top five returning safeties in college football, and the headline, kind of the subhead, says that Georgia's Tyke Smith actually tops the list of the 10 best safeties returning in college football for 2021. Now, I absolutely realize, and I said this yesterday, I think when Connor Riley was on the show, when I am a hypocrite, I completely acknowledge it. Some of the non-Georgia fans like to kind of jump in the comment section sometime or hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily, and they think they have caught me in something when I'm being hypocritical. But if I'm not acknowledging my hypocrisy, that means I was not hypocritical. Many times I actually am fairly consistent with my opinions and points of view, but every now and then I am a total hypocrite, and when I am a total hypocrite, I will gladly acknowledge that because none of us are perfect. I am a, uh, I am, I am certainly human, not not. Not perfect. So the other day on the show, as an example of my hypocrisy, my imperfection, the other day on the show, I was laughing at Pro Football Focus because one of their mock drafters, you know, writers, whatever else, had Emory Jones being selected as a first round pick, not even first round pick, top 10 pick in the 2022 NFL draft. We said that that was ludicrous. We said whoever wrote that was a buffoon and Pro Football Focus was uh, not worthy of even paying attention to on the basis of that. And yet here I am two days later kind of citing. They're fairly obscured, you know, difficult to ascertain data as a way of touting just how good Tyke Smith is. When I am a hypocrite, I will gladly acknowledge it. This is a moment where I am a hypocrite, but it is kind of an example that's out there of of pro football focus saying, listen, we think that even though, uh, you know, uh, Smith's probably a, like a star uh, or a nickelback, an extra, almost extra cornerback here in the uh, Georgia defense, at least that's what we presume, that's kind of where he ranks according to PFF. The reason why, as a, you know, communicator, I am comfortable with this hypocrisy is that while pro football focuses numbers sometimes can I guess maybe leave something to the you know to be desired what they are saying also matches up with what other folks have said right I mean it wasn't just PFF who was touting uh, Smith a year ago he was kind of in the conversation for the Thorpe Award he was honored by the AP as well for his play a year ago so other eyes other than just pro football focus have said some good things about Tyke Smith so in this particular case I will allow the PFF data into evidence here on our program here today in fact to kind of take this a step further I cited the other day the story to Athlon Sports of the big names to know in the SEC for 2022 who could make some noise in the NFL draft uh, for the upcoming year. One of the names they also mentioned, uh, Athlon Sports, was Tyke Smith. I want to read you a couple of sentences here, and I apologize. This is a little longer than I normally read, but I want to kind of give you the full picture of all this. What Athlon Sports says about Tyke Smith on his way to Georgia is, the West Virginia transfer hopes to take on a starring role in a Georgia secondary, kind of maybe in more ways than one, playing star, but also we remember uh, the Maurice Smith transfer in 2016, how valuable his role became for Georgia playing a similar position to what we expect Smith to play here this year. So Athlon says potential starring role for a Georgia secondary in and uh, badly in need of experienced playmakers after losing so many guys this year's draft. Uh, they say that Smith earned third-team All-American honors for the Mountaineers last season. Uh, they give his stats there. They say he's a sure tackler with great instincts, excellent coverage skills, and he'll likely line up as an immediate impact player at safety or the nickel uh, position for the dogs. Now listen to this. Final sentence from Athlon Sports, and this is kind of the point of all of this. It would not be surprising to see Smith sneak into the first round with a big 2021 season. So in other words, maybe not on your radar of potential first-round picks for Georgia was a guy like Tyke Smith, a guy that's just kind of transferring in. Sometimes we think of that position in a secondary kind of a 
safety slash star slash nickelback as the position where you don't really take a starring role because you're kind of guarding guys over the middle as opposed to the cornerbacks who get the glory guarding you know guarding the wide receivers out there on the edge but athlon sports and pro football focus a number of outlets number of entities say keep your eye on tyke smith as he transfers to uga smith says he's eager to get here he's done with classes at west virginia my guess is he arrives at georgia any day and at that point in time then he could be taking some steps towards being a big part of this georgia secondary so with that said let me kind of shift gears to something else for a moment i always like when i get to go into like newsman mode i like to pop the papers on the desk and say in a follow-up to a story that we covered yesterday, this is kind of one of those moments where we talked a lot yesterday about uh, Jordan Davis and whether Davis could also be one of those half-dozen guys that you probably need if you want to uh, win a national championship, half-dozen guys that get into the first round. There are mock drafts that have Davis there. There are mock drafts that said that Davis, in a year in which there were no defensive tackles, by the way, taken in the first round for the 2021 draft, the one we just had, there are mock drafts that said Davis could have been that guy had he left school here this year. So as a way of kind of following up on this, I also saw this from the uh, Pro Football Network, who also have some love for Davis, but they also kind of give you the other side of this them for him there as well. Pro Football Network writing, including Davis in their top 50 prospects for the upcoming year, saying that he's not a fully developed three-down threat yet. Nevertheless, he's already a strong run defender, flashes the necessary upside as a pass rusher. Even at 6'6", 330 pounds, he can uh, build up good speed with a, with a runway. If he can trim 15 pounds, and by the way, we've heard Kirby Smart say that, right? That you want to make sure you kind of keep that weight where it needs to be. If he can trim 15 pounds, he cuts unlock more spryness you love that word and abrupt explosiveness on passing downs he already has the physicality and the power to add to it and this is what we said yesterday about davis right that uh, that if you're going to talk about him as a first round defensive tackle then it's not unfair to say can statistically speaking he do what uh, javon kinlaw did for south carolina in 2019 remember those numbers that he put up or what Derek Brown put up there in uh, 2019 there as well for Auburn. Those are recent SEC defensive tackles who've gone the first round. Go back to Quinn Williams the year before that at Alabama. The monstrous stats that he put up. You know, if you're going to see a, a slimmer, you know, lighter Jordan Davis, someone who plays with a little more athleticism, at least in comparison to the guys who go in the first round of the NFL draft, the way that should show up in those stats. The high number for uh, Davis from a sack standpoint, go back to 2019 when he had two and a half. Can you get that number up to like four and a half, five, maybe six sacks? Can you get double-digit tackles for loss? Those are the big numbers to watch for for Jordan Davis here this season. So let me kind of wrap all this up this way. Whether it's the transfer in of Tyke Smith that we just talked about, the continued emergence of Jordan Davis, or the other former five stars like like Trayvon Walker and Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson and Kobe Dean, this Georgia defense really does have a chance to be special, and obviously it's playing with a little bit of a chip on its shoulder because there were some really tough questions asked about this unit after it did not get the job done in games like the Alabama and Florida contests from a year ago. But the names I just rattled off, even with some question marks at cornerback and some maybe some uncertain situations other places, the names I just rattled off give Georgia more than enough potential to really be special and a potential part of the national championship formula for the dogs maybe later on this fall. My name is Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort and we're glad to have you no matter how you get to us live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, of course, 
on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref and as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com. Great to have you with us and great to have our friends at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort as a big part of what we're doing today. Beautiful getaway, just two-hour drive from, from Atlanta, which is a very convenient thing and a fun place to be. Whether you're thinking about all of the the great options they have there, the socially distant gaming floor, you know they completely reimagine that with your health and safety in mind. And really, as we get back to normal, that casino floor continues to be a great place to be. The slot machines, the table games, and everything else just makes that a blast. Obviously, the gourmet restaurants, so much delicious food to be uh, enjoyed there. The world class shopping, the luxurious spa that really treats you well and kind of makes this a tremendous getaway. And of course. Many of you also aware that sports gaming has now come to the Harris Cherokee Casino Resort property. That's, that's right. You can place your wagers on sports right there, either at the original Harris Cherokee Casino Resort or the Harris Cherokee Valley River. Uh, great getaway. Two-hour drive from Atlanta. So much to do. Website to go to. It's Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee. That's Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee. You can find out a lot more about that. Great to have them as a part of the program. All right, we're going to get Mike Griffith here coming up in just a couple of minutes. Before we do that, though, let's go around the doghouse. And it was a very interesting appearance for former Georgia coach Mark Richt on the Paul Feinbaum show going back to a Monday afternoon. And a couple of the hot topics that have been around the sport now for the last few weeks, transfer portal, name image likeness, that came up with Rick during this discussion. It was really interesting to hear the way that Coach Rick kind of cited some of his time at Georgia, previous players that he's coached at UG that obviously uh, this audience has great memories of and how they would have been impacted by the new rules that are about to be in place and in some cases new laws around the country that they're going to impact college sports. And one thing in particular, and I've actually gotten a couple of social media messages about this on Twitter from some people saying that they thought there was a way in which the name image likeness law could help benefit a school like Georgia or any big time school if you're looking to keep players at your program a little longer that the name image likeness opportunity might provide a little bit of an incentive for certain players to stay in school a little longer. Some of y'all had hit me up on Twitter to say that. It sounds like Mark Rick kind of agrees with that there as well. This is what he said about that on the Paul Feinbaum show, citing a couple of his players as an example of guys who could have certainly benefited by the NIL laws had they been in school during their time. This is uh, Rick. Well, one thing I think is, uh, let's say a guy like my, a, couple, a couple of my quarterbacks that I had, they did not leave early, but at Georgia... You know, Aaron, you take Aaron Murray and you take D.J. Shockley, had very modest uh, professional careers. Those guys could have made more money in college than they probably could make once they got out of college. And I, th- I think what's going to happen is some guys may be less likely to leave early to go to the NFL because they may have some good deals where they're at, may not be in such a big rush, uh, depending on how lucrative these things can get. I think that's a really interesting point from Rick. There's a chance that's true. We know there are many athletes who are more famous for their time in college than anything they do after that, even if they do have professional careers. I mean, look at Tim Tebow, the buzz that's been generated about his return to you know, the Jacks, the NFL potentially signing a one-year contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars has been a huge topic here this week because not not because Tebow's some well-known NFL player, because he got became so well-known at Florida that his, I guess, fame still kind of lives on. And there are other examples of that there as well. 
Rick cites a couple of, in terms of Aaron Murray, DJ Shockley, two guys that you got to think, had they had a chance to have NIL laws while they were in school, they could have really benefited from that. You know, At least on the basis of the best that I can understand this, they would have had a chance to do so. So I think that Rick is right about that. And for that player who's kind of wavering, who says, you know, I want to go to the NFL, I want to get paid, but now I can get paid in college, maybe that would keep a few guys around a little bit longer. It's at least worth considering. That's interesting stuff from Rick. But the other thing that Rick says, I think this is true. And this is one of those things where – I think there's a tendency on the part of some people to roll their eyes about this and say this is overblown or to say that this isn't a consideration worth making too big of a deal about. But I do think that Rick is is right. I'm going to play the clip for you here in a moment, but to set it up to say this, that we transfer now to the, the transfer stuff, right? You know, the idea, as Rick said on the Feinbaum show on Monday, that free agency has essentially arrived in college football. And on the one hand, it's good to give guys a chance to move on to a place they're happy. And certainly if they're seeking more playing time, you know, it seems easy to want to argue in favor of them finding a place that's going to give that to them. But as Rick says, you know, sometimes sticking things out through adversity and coming out better and tougher on the other side, that is a big part of the college sports story. For those of us who love the idea of college sports being as popular as it is, I think one of the reasons why we're comfortable with it being so popular is because I think that the overall message of college football is kind of a good one. Hey, come work hard, develop, listen, you know, uh, train yourself both as an athlete and as a man, you know, kind of, you know, off the field there as well. And I, I think it, I think just the whole idea of college sports in general kind of reaffirms some sort of positive virtues a little bit. And I think that the jumping the, into the transfer portal, the moment adversity strikes, is a little bit of an issue. Rick seems to have some concerns about that there as well. I think this is well said by Rick and worth us hearing from the Fine Bomb Show as well. The other thing I'm worried about is when things get tough, I'm going to leave. If I don't get to start, I'm going to leave. You know, where are you going to learn to go through adversity? Where are you going to grow up into a man that can handle, you know, the tough times and, and, and fight through it? I mean, a guy like DJ Shockley sat behind David Green for four years and ended up starting in one SEC championship. And he, he could write his ticket in the state of Georgia with how people feel about him. And, uh, you know, but you know those kind of stories are going to be far and few between over time. So let me just say this. If you're the kind of person who hears Rick saying that or hearing what I said a moment ago and all that feels too old-fashioned to you, I guess the one thing that I would encourage you to consider is how many players think the grass is going to be greener somewhere else only to find out that's not the case? As we've said before, the overwhelming number of players in the transfer portal right now have nowhere to transfer to, that they have been led to believe, oh, you know, this coach doesn't like me, but there's going to be a coach somewhere else who's going to treat me the way that I deserve to be treated. Therefore, when I hop in the transfer portal, I'm going to have a much happier life somewhere else, and it ends up being kind of a false bill of goods. And that's just objectively true, that there are a lot of players who hope to utilize this portal and it's not going to work the way they want for it too. So even if you think the the overall notion of what Rick sells there of, hey, tough it out, you know, be DJ Shockley, you know, earn some glory on the other side of a challenging situation. If that seems too quaint and old-fashioned for you, at least acknowledge the practical truth, which is that for a lot of players who hope to be different from Shockley, who hope to leave and eject from a program very quickly – the majority of them, based on the current examples we have right now, will end up being unhappy having done so because they've either got nowhere to transfer to or they're transferring to a situation that's not going to be really any better for them than the previous spot was. So at least worth considering good stuff there from Rick on the Paul Feinbaum show a little earlier this week. Before I bring on Mike 
uh, Griffith as a wrap-up around the doghouse. Let me also remind you, there's still an opportunity for you to take advantage of the big event we're going to be part of on Friday, May 21st. This is going to be so much fun. Our Dog Nation Days of Summer event going on there at the Battery Atlanta and Truist Park as the Braves get ready to take on the Pittsburgh Pirates that night. We're all going to the game together. But before that, there's going to be a huge reception. This is going to be old school. This is going to be like our first time getting back together as kind of a Dog Nation community since really over a year. So we're going to start at 4 p.m. We're going to have like a meet and greet. I'm going to be there. A lot of the Dog Nation team is going to be there. We're going to have dinner provided by Fox Brothers Barbecue. We're going to have beer provided by the folks there at the Terrapin Tap Room. It's going to be at the Terrapin Tap Room, which is right there next to uh, Truist Park. So you're going to get a chance to be a part of that. We'll do a Q&A. We'll talk some Georgia football. We'll enjoy some great dinner from Fox Brothers, some great beer, beverages, whatever you want. We're going to give away some Dog Nation swag that night. There's going to be a chance to win stuff from the Braves, like signed baseballs, future tickets, uh, gift cards from the Terrapin Tap Room. And after we have our meet and greet, our Q&A, after we talk some Georgia football, we're all going to the game that night, all sitting together in the same section, lower level, diamond corner tickets for the Braves and the Pirates there that night. This is an amazing, amazing Dog Nation Days of Summer event, and the price is right, too. It's just $77. You get the whole thing. All, all kinds of uh, you know, fellowship together, food, drinks, prizes, baseball, the whole thing. So here's the website to go to braves.com slash dog nation that's braves.com slash dog nation you can buy your tickets we've sold a ton we've got some space left obviously the stadium itself offers plenty of room it's the it's the space where we're going to have the meet and greet beforehand where we're somewhat limited so please get involved while you still can braves.com slash dog nation you can be a part of that today all right there is a lot to do on our program before we're done we'll deal with the whatever's going on with Georgia basketball, and I may need some of y'all to tell me exactly what you think about that. We'll do that before we're done. But for now, on everything else with Georgia, on the football side of things first, let's talk to Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Of course, doing a great job covering the Georgia Bulldogs for DogNation.com is our buddy Mike Griffith. He's also uh, busy taking care of some family stuff here right now, too, so he's generous to share some of his time with us, and I certainly appreciate that. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the program, and I hope you're doing well today. Doing great, DA. Thanks, man. So let me begin with this. Um, Mark Richt, appearance on the Paul Feinbaum show a little earlier this week. I played some audio from that before you joined us. Interesting to hear him weigh in on the changes that are on their way to college football, both in terms of the concerns that he has about the transfer rule potentially, concerns that he has about name, image, likeness, but also some of the positive kind of stuff around that there as well. We played some of the audio. The full interview is really worth Georgia fans who care about Rick. So many of them obviously still do to uh, listen and check in on themselves because I thought that Rick actually did a pretty good job of kind of giving you the full weight of this, the potential positives on the one side, the potential negatives on the other. And I, I think it's a big topic and I think Rick handled it pretty well. Did you get a chance to hear it, and what did you think of it? No, I talked with him yesterday for about a half hour. He's at the beach with his family, and I called him up and told him I heard he was on Feinbaum, and I wanted to you know, pick his brain on a few things. So uh, I had a conversation with him. We'll have a story up on Dog Nation today about our conversation with Brandon. And, and he talked about a lot of those same things. You know, My takeaway is that you know, hey, these are challenging times for coaches, uh, regardless of the sport. You know, you've got uh, the Bermuda Triangle of, of, of challenges between COVID-19, 
and the new parameters and the challenges that that presents. Uh, the NIL, name, image, likeness bill, which as Coach Rick talked about, is uh, certainly a potential uh, likely distraction. I mean, let's face it, if these kids are getting paid now, that's one more thing on their on their agenda for the day is to make sure their social media accounts updated or their contracts are in order. And, and then the one-time transfer, which is, you know, really designed for the benefit of the students, but it's had several, several unintended consequences. And you're seeing that with college basketball now with, you know, almost 1,600 players in the portal. It's, it's, it's just wreaking havoc on, on athletics. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And look, I've said this, you know, a million times before. I'm not against the idea of, at least theoretically in a box, a vacuum in and of itself. I'm not against the idea of a player being able to cash on, cash in on his endorsement potential. I'm not fundamentally against that, but I do have very legitimate concerns, as the NCAA itself has said, that the moment the public at large starts viewing these athletes as young professionals kind of you know minor league level professional athletes as opposed to players that represent their co- you know their school and college the moment that perception changes among the among the public i do believe it has the potential of making college sports less popular i don't believe the ncaa is just blowing hot air when they say that well i think it's true i mean i, I think already i mean i mean just think about this we're, we're talking about players on the verge of name image likeness and it wasn't that long ago that it was discovered that Reggie Bush, his parents, had a home that was paid, helped partially paid for, and and they stripped his Heisman Trophy, right? Like he was, you know, the whole Pete Rose thing. I mean, it's like we've gone from that extreme to Reggie Bush being the worst human being in the world because his parents needed financial assistance for a place to live, to turning around and saying we're going to let kids you know, have their own deals. I mean, we've already seen some of it. I mean, Zamir White has a clothing clothing line with Z3, and, you know, we've seen that promoted. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how commercialized it is, but we, you've already seen little bits and pieces, and, and I'm with you. I mean, that's fine. But as Coach Rick points out, how do you manage that? So, so now as a coach, you've got to manage players who – now baseball and track – and other non-revenue sports, Brandon, they've been managing the inequality between players for years. I think everybody listening and watching knows that baseball players all aren't on full scholarships. Some guys right. have more scholarship than others. And so there's some inequity. It's going to be the same with name and likeness. Some guys are going to have deals, quarterbacks, running backs, receivers. Some guys aren't. Offensive linemen. How's that going to go over the locker room? Okay, so that's one thing. Two, we talked about the focus that these athletes have got to have, does it play into their uh, decision-making when they choose a school? Does it play into their decision-making should they choose to transfer? And what of the transfer? you got a kid, you're telling them, hey, you were late for practice. I'm going to make you get up tomorrow morning and run wind sprint. What if he says, no, I'm not, I'm going to transfer? I mean, it, it, the, the leverage that the athletes think they have right now with the portal is out of control. And if you're a coach, what do you do? How much do you bend before you lose your culture? At some point, you got to say, "Look, if you're not showing up, you got to go." Right? I mean, you can't tolerate uh, an entitled athlete. But with these rule changes that are concurring at the same time as COVID nineteen, which makes communication and group get-togethers more challenging to begin with, it, it's just created a it's created an absolute mess. And, and I know you saw Dick Vitale. 
yeah. on Dog Nation earlier this week. I mean, if Dick Vitale, the, the happiest, cheeriest, everybody's a ptp or awesome baby moment, was absolutely taking the NCAA to task. And I said, who is this guy? I've been listening to Dick Vitale 30 years, Brandon. I've never heard Dick Vitale that aggressive and angry at, at the NCAA. And I want to get to the basketball situation with you here in a moment. Let me do some more football before we get there. I talked about Tyke Smith before you uh, joined us, both because uh, Smith has now finished up his coursework at West Virginia. He's looking forward to being at UGA. And also, he's one of these guys that kind of earned some of that preseason buzz, whether it's, you know, I would have presumed playing as a nickelback, but I guess maybe a chance of contributing some potentially at safety there as well. But some way, somehow, kind of manning part of the middle of the field there for this Georgia secondary you know, I think it's certainly justifiable given the way that some outlets have kind of described the way that he performed a year ago for the Mountaineers that the Tykee is going to be a big part of this Georgia defense here this year. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, he's the star, right? He's the new Mark Webb or Tyreek Stevenson. I mean, that's who he's replacing. And then, of course, we know Kirby's got, you know, Kirby's playing Frankenstein with some of these other defenses when he's going to have Adam Anderson out there as the star, probably against RPO. I, I think that's the Alabama defense. I think. I think Kirby's creating a monster that's designed for RPO. That's my, my personal, my little black helicopter theory of Adam Anderson, is he's designed for these passing teams that aren't really passing teams, that are going to run a lot of RPO. You're going to put a bigger, stronger, faster guy out there that can squash you and do just enough in coverage. But, but to your point, yes, Tyke is the star. Uh, he'll be out there with Christopher Smith and, and, and Lewisine. Uh, I think uh, Kimber, Jalen Kimber as well. Right now looks like a mere speed opposite of Kimber, but we know Keely Ringo is making up ground fast with every rep. So you're, you're three good, you're three deep with good corners, albeit somewhat inexperienced. Uh, but, but I think your three solid corners need Nyland Green to come on. He was kind of swimming a little bit, uh, missed the spring game with COVID. That was unfortunate. Uh, you know, and then after that, you got to add another corner. I don't know if you can add a corner that's going to start right now. Because this defense is complicated. It really is. This is Kirby plays NFL defense, man, and there's a lot to it. You don't just come in and line up and cover that guy. Uh, so even if you've got a guy right now, I don't know if he can learn enough, uh, fast enough, B.A., to crack the starting lineup. But Tyke Smith at the star, I, I think he can. He's a veteran. Uh, you know that he's been looking at, at playbook. You know that – you, you know that he's been probably getting the tutorials over Zoom, whatever the NCAA allows. I'm sure Tyke is maximizing that because I do think he's a plug-and-play star. Yeah, I, I guess my other point, too, is, Mike, between the praise that, that Smith is getting, plug-and-play I think is a pretty good way to describe that, and the high-end talent of former five stars like Trayvon Walker and Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson and Kobe Dean and – Obviously, what Jordan Davis has a chance to be here this upcoming year. I realize there's some legit questions with the Georgia defense, and we should spend the entirety of the offseason trying to figure that kind of stuff out. You know, I think that's what fans kind of want to do. But the other thing I'll kind of come back and say is I just rattled off a pretty substantial list of high-end names. You know, I think the potential is still there for this to be a very good Georgia defense. I know there's a little bit of a chip on the shoulder and maybe a little bit of doubt amongst some fans because defense didn't play great in the games that mattered most for Georgia a year ago. But, Mike, I haven't given up on the idea that this is still a very good defense this season, even with huge, huge unanswered and unknowns, unanswered questions and unknowns at the cornerback spot. I, I think there's still room to be high on the Georgia defense. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I think the front seven is still special. I mean, 
you know, you lose the SEC sacks leader in Aziz Adjilari. I mean, that's tough, right? And certainly Malik Herring uh, was, a, was a very good lineman. But with Devontae Wyatt coming back next to Jordan Davis in the middle, the growth that we've seen from Jalen Carter, you mentioned Trayvon Walker. He's, he's an NFL player as well. Nolan Smith, the former number one, you know he's been chomping at the bit. I mentioned Adam Anderson earlier. I thought you said maybe Nicobe's the most underrated defender. I agree. I love I love him from Nicobe Dean. I think he's a special, special guy. I thought Quay Walker looked much better. So I think that front seven, I'd put him up against anybody. Uh, to your point, the cornerbacks are new, and even last year's cornerbacks that are going to the NFL got torched by Florida and Alabama and even Tennessee. I mean, don't tell anybody in Jacksonville Jaguars to put the Tyson Campbell film on from Tennessee. They'll see him getting beat up by Jared Garantano. I mean, so even though those guys were first-round picks or first-round talent, you know, they had some rough times. Now, I do believe that the SEC, it's a cyclical deal, Brandon, and I don't see the next Mac Jones or Kyle Trask. And, again, I don't think Kyle Trask is going to take Tom Brady's job anytime soon. But it, but the guy could play Papa Shot, just like Mac Jones. If you couldn't get to those guys, they were going to put it on the money. And they had special – they had special, special receivers. Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney, first-round picks. These are special guys. Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. These are – Najee Harris. These are special first-round talent. And they're not there this year. So – I don't think that because you don't – now, I'm not saying there's not going to be some guys that aren't going to evolve other places. There's going to be some guys that are going to pop up and be awful good. But I don't think you're going to see offensive skill position players like that this year. So I don't think SEC teams will be in a position to hurt Georgia as bad as maybe Clemson early and maybe if you run into somebody in the college football playoffs. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Mike, I want to finish this. You mentioned the basketball thing a moment ago. Georgia lost a couple more players to transfer yesterday, most prominently Katie Johnson here. And listen, let me just kind of give you my full opinion, then I want you to respond to it. I actually like Crean. I, I had a chance to interview him years ago before he came to Georgia. I think he's an interesting figure around the college basketball space, and I think he has been for a long time. And I'm actually kind of willing to give him the benefit of the doubt through all of these transfers, even as many as there have been just on the basis of the fact that there are a lot of guys in the transfer portal right now. I don't follow this story as closely as I would have a year, you know, years ago. So, therefore, I, I can't really be fully sure of why all these guys are transferring. Frankly, most of the audience more interested in the football stuff anyway. So, therefore, I'm willing to be somewhat forgiving of whatever's happening at the basketball and just let them figure all that out. And I just sort of let this kind of be, you know, not that big of a deal. However, Mike, the one thing that I do have a problem with the statement yesterday related to Katie Johnson certainly kind of came, and I'm going to read it to the audience uh, before we're done the show today, uh, but the, the statement related to Katie Johnson really kind of acted as a way of kind of throwing him under the bus, kind of blaming him for whatever goes on there, and that's the part where I find that a, a little bit hard to take. I'm willing to forgive all the transfers, give Crean the benefit of the doubt, assume they may try to find a way to figure it out over the course of this upcoming year, and frankly not make as big a deal about it as a lot of Georgia basketball fans who are very upset about all of this. I'm kind of willing to do all of that, but I just don't want Crean throwing players under the bus. That's my one request is not you know uh, disparage these guys publicly as a way of saving face for what has been a very weird offseason to this point. 
Yeah, you know, I, I don't know, B.A. I mean, I think Crean was letting you know that it was maybe more of a mutual sort of situation is how I interpret it because, as you know, the school cannot comment on certain things. I think you know that. I think we all know that there's certain issues that schools can't comment on. Um, and, and so there is a bit of a, oh, my goodness, this is a really good player who's leaving Georgia. Um you know, I, I think that this is Georgia taking up for Georgia, essentially. And I, I didn't think he threw him under the bus. I thought he made it clear that, yeah, I, I agree. You know, he needs to transfer. That's okay. That's, he didn't say he's a bad guy. He's not. Kenny Johnson's not a bad guy. He didn't say he's not a good player. He's a good player. It's a head coach going, yeah, we, we agree. You know, we're, we're, you know, and, and that's the way I look at it, you know, because there are questions. Because people just look at, oh, nine guys. Well, you don't break it down. You don't say, well, you know, two of them are grad transfers that weren't coming back anyway. You don't say you had a, a guy that's shooting 25% from three and 56% from three-point land that's making noise about wanting a bigger role. That's ridiculous. You know, you don't mention, you know, there's a lot of details on each guy. I'll just say that. But but the, the bottom line here, the common thread, it, it's, it, first of all, it's not just Georgia. You've got 1,578 guys in the transfer portal. I mean, think, that's mind-numbing to me. That's an average, average of almost five per team, not to mention the attrition that you have from guys that just leave school, right, that decide they're going to go pro. What's happened here, and again, I'll go back to this, you've got players with NIL right now, and you've got players with one-time transfer. You've got players who feel like they have leverage. I don't have to do this, or I'll just transfer. And you're seeing it everywhere, not just Georgia. Now, what happens at Georgia is because this program has won one SEC regular season championship in SEC history. Georgia's got one, Brandon. There's a lot of decades of frustration. There's a lot of decades of, of, of people that look at Georgia basketball and look down their nose at it, and, and they're sick of it. And you, it all kind of comes up, oh, now here we go again, nine guys are transferred. Yeah, they are. But what I look at is the guys that are coming in. And I say, well, what's going to happen? Because this is a new landscape. You're not going to – I had somebody tell me the other day, man, I'm not going to recognize the Georgia basketball team next year. I said, you ain't going to recognize the SEC, man. Do you know that every program has lost at least six guys except for Kentucky? They've lost five You know, that aren't going to be on the roster from last year. So get used to it. It, it. This is the new landscape. And the question is, can Georgia win in this landscape? Can Crean make these new rules work for him? Can he bring in more than he loses? And that's what I'm looking at. When I look at the guys coming in versus the guys going out, because that's the landscape. That's happening everywhere. But let me so just, let me, I, I, don't, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how it will work out in the end. But let me just squeeze this in really quick. Like I said before, I'm sort of willing to give Crean a free pass and all this simply because I'm not that engaged in the story. But don't you think there ought to be some room for skepticism about the idea, well, well Katie Johnson's leaving, we want him to leave. Uh, Severe Wheeler's leaving, but he wants to go closer to home, even though that's not really what his group of finalists would lead you to believe that he's going to do. Kyer's a graduate transfer. He was never coming back again, you know, uh, anyway. I mean, don't you think there ought to be some room for skepticism about the explanation for all of these transfers? Because while the, the national average may be five, you know, when I look at it, it looks like it's like the top seven players from Georgia as opposed to, you know, what might be, you know, 
players, at least in some schools, a little farther down the uh, pecking order there. I mean, as I said before, I'm not engaged enough on this story to like pound my you know fist on the desk and say it's got to be different. But I do think there ought to be at least some room for skepticism, given the fact that the seven or so that are leaving Georgia, to my eyes anyway, are the top seven players in the program. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's room for skepticism, and unfortunately, the school has restrictions on what they can and cannot say publicly. So we don't know the whole story, and I don't think we will know the whole story in terms of how it gets flushed out until we see where these players go and we, we see where what their standing is. I think once once it plays out, now, now still, there's still room for skepticism. You say, well, this is Tom Crane's program. Anything that's not perfect, it's on him. You know, uh, what's the old saying? Uh, Stuff runs uphill, right? So I do think there's questions. Yeah, I think there's questions. And I think there's going to be questions until next season because people want to win. There's one thing I know, and and I go back to one year uh, when Lane Kiffin was hired at Tennessee and he was replacing Philip Fulmer. And I I did a FOIA on who has the most violations in the SEC. And Lane Kiffin was tied with Nick Saban. Everybody forgets how Alabama, maybe not everybody forgets Brandon, but some people forget uh, how rampant Alabama's secondary violations were at the start of Nick Saban's tenure. He was going to turn the tide around. It didn't matter what it took, he was going to do it. And he did it without any major violations. But there were scores of secondary violations, which just means they can't prove you did something on purpose or it's ruled that it was an accidental or an incidental violation. Well, it just so happened that Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban were tied for the most number of violations in Lane Kiffin's first and only year. And the reaction of many of the fans, not all of them, but many of them was, who cares? We don't care what it takes. We'll do whatever it takes. I don't think I'm stretching anything or crossing any boundaries by pointing my finger at LSU and Will Wade and saying, here's a coach that was caught on a wiretap. He's Still raking in great players. That's another part of the problem with the college basketball landscape. Those guys are still out there. Kansas just gave Bill Self a lifetime contract in the face of an FBI investigation. I guess I would just ask you, or Georgia fans, or any fan of any program, would you be willing to win like that? Because that's how programs, a lot of programs, now there's programs that are winning the right way too. They are, and let's scratch and sniff and and see if there's been any violation or any uh, wrongdoing of late. And, that, and again, nobody cares about that. They all care. I don't want to say nobody, but you're asking me what's on the scoreboard. I'm telling you the challenges that Georgia basketball has right now. When you look around the Shark Tank in the SEC and you see who you're competing, and you got to ask yourself because I'm going to tell you this. I will say this. I don't believe that Tom Crean is ever going to be on a coach that's going to be on an FBI wiretap or get served a major violation. I'll say that. He didn't at Marquette, and he did not at Indiana, and he won at both places. And right now, the bet is from Josh Brooks, and he hasn't said it publicly, but clearly his actions indicate it, Josh Brooks is believing that Tom Crean can win here without doing those things. That's, that's where it sits right now, and all we can do is say, there's seven new guys coming in so far today. They've got to get a point guard. They'll probably get another big. We're just going to have to see how how it uh, all adds up when all this is over with. All right, Mike, good stuff. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort today. We'll look forward to reading you a uh, bunch in the uh, days ahead. And, of course, uh, enjoy some time with your family there. Uh, We appreciate you making some time for us.
Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate it, man. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So I tell you what, I went a little longer on that with Mike than I intended to. I was going to do more basketball stuff later on. Let me just do that kind of quickly right now and wrap up. Because the whole issue for me, as I said before, I kind of like Kareem. I interviewed him like years ago. Obviously, he's, you know, was a figure on like, pardon my take and stuff like that. I mean, he's been a you know big face around the basketball community for a while. I mean, I would like to root for Kareem at Georgia. And I just don't follow college basketball quite as close as I did. I don't really have like a scathing, scorching hot take on the number of transfers that Georgia has had. I just can't have you doing spin control in the media about the guys that leave. You know, let you know, let the action speak for themselves, both in terms of who you bring in, who you're able to keep, and what you're able to do on the court. I don't like the spin control here. I, I did not like the quote related to KG, Katie Johnson's departure. So I'll put a bow on all of this. Can I just read that quote? Uh, Michael, you want to throw that up there? We'll read this and kind of uh, move on from this after that. Uh, Crean, uh, you can read this at dognation.com yourself. Crean says that given the standards and expectations of Georgia basketball, we wholeheartedly agree with Katie's desire to seek a new program. We certainly wish him the best and really hope he finds success in all areas moving forward. And listen, that sounds like flowery language, but obviously the huge takeaway there is is that Katie Johnson didn't meet our standards and expectations. And I don't know. Even if it's true, I just think there's a way to do things, and that's not the way I would prefer to see Georgia basketball do things. And that's really my only opinion on this whatsoever. Players leave, players come in. That's kind of the way that basketball goes. Just be careful about how you spin this in the public because that right there does not look great to me. And that is my opinion on that. We'll do our SEC through here. I'll also remind you about my friends at secondchance.law. You know, we all deserve a second chance from time to time. And some people, that means criminal history, things like that, that if you could get it kind of restricted off your record, you'd obviously love to do that because you know that it provides better job opportunities. It provides, in some cases, better living opportunities. Well, the good news is there's some Georgia laws right now that actually give you a chance to do that. But like a lot of things with the law, the whole thing is like really confusing. Well, secondchance.law makes it really easy. They have an online quiz. You answer the questions that determines your eligibility. And if you're not eligible, they'll tell you how to get eligible, or at least work your way towards being able to do that. It's a really great opportunity. It's what secondchance.law provides. Of course, these are good dog people. One of the partners is a double dog, two-time UGA graduate, former Redcoat, longtime listener to us here, Dog Nation Daily. So check out secondchance.law and take some steps towards getting some stuff off your record that can set this tone for you enjoying a much better life. Check that out today. So I thought this was kind of interesting. CBSSports.com and 24-7 kind of followed up this there as well. Ranking those coaching hires for college football for the upcoming year. I want to give you a couple of the grades they gave to some of the SEC guys. First of all, Brian Harson going to uh, Auburn, they gave an A- to. And we've talked about Harson a little bit the last couple of days. We did a lot of Harson last week on SEC Country Live. By the way, SEC Country Live back again today, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the SEC Country video channels, both SEC Country on Facebook, SEC Country Live on YouTube. And I, I can't quite buy into the A- grade from CBS for Brian Harson as of yet. He's a proven winner at Boise State, of course, but this is a guy from a vastly different culture uh, you know, coaching out west, kind of up there in that big sky country area, coming down here to the SEC. I think we're already seeing some examples of, you know, whether it be the recruiting graphic they got mocked of, you know, using all the, you know, the former Georgia coaches and the Georgia players they coached or the error in which he called Tuscaloosa the school up north and got mocked by local Alabama media for that. This is a guy who I, I just don't know that Harson's going to be quite able to throw elbows the way that you need to, to really kind of create a persona for yourself opposite a guy like Nick Saban in Alabama. The SEC is one of those places where 
you got to have a little bit of shtick to you. You got to have a little bit of a gimmick, a little bit of a personality. And you know, Harson's a nice guy, and you know he's a uh, clearly a good football coach. He's won plenty of games, but until he shows me a little teeth on the recruiting trail, I can't give that an A minus grade. If you if you care, Clark Lee at uh, Vanderbilt got a B. I don't, I don't care about that. Uh, uh, Shane Beamer at South Carolina got a C minus from CBS. I actually think that it's kind of funny. So Josh Heupel at Tennessee got a C. Uh, Shane Beamer at South Carolina got a C minus. So they're essentially saying they think that Heupel is a better hire for Tennessee than Beamer is for South Carolina. Relative to expectations, I believe I might flip that just a little bit. I believe I might say that relative to expectations, you know, Beamer has a chance to, you know, maybe craft something for himself there in, 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 in Columbia that Heupel's going to have just a much more difficult time at, at, at Tennessee. The fact of the matter is the Tennessee program is a mess. Heupel's not very experienced. He's in over his skis. Whatever experience he does have in comparison to Beamer, I don't think is a, is a huge benefit there. The problem that Shane Beamer had was, unlike Sam Pittman, who knocked it out of the park with some assistant coaching hires when he first took over at Arkansas, Beamer had a little bit of a harder time crafting a staff there in Columbia. Frankly, a lot of the guys he wanted to hire ended up being hired by Brian Harson there at Auburn. Auburn viewed as a better program. But interesting to see the outlook for these first-year SEC coaches. It's tough right now in this league, especially in the SEC West for Harson, because the league is so deep, SEC West certainly included. By the way, I'll also mention this just very quick on the way out the door here. Very strange times in Columbia when it comes to the – have you seen the story with the president, Bob Caslin, the uh, president of the University of uh, South Carolina, allegedly uh, – I guess it's not even alleged anymore. I think he's admitted to it now – plagiarized a sp- his commencement speech the other day also referenced weirdly the University of California as opposed to South Carolina. He's been in battle there for a while for for a number of reasons and just not very popular with a lot of the folks around that university community, including Darla Moore, the high-profile booster who's just taken him to task in a huge way. So uh, there are some issues on the academic side of the University of South Carolina right now. Maybe a story worth paying attention to will make that your SEC through. And as we get ready to wrap up on today's program, I'll remind you that you can always be a part of our Gator Hater Roll Call. Reach out to me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. Show off your Gator Hater credentials, and you have the potential of being our Golden Shoe winner. Uh, I want to congratulate our, our Gator Hater Roll Call Golden Shoe winner today. Very funny tweet I got. This came from Scott Teapot Harris, who kind of shows you one of these baby onesies here that says it's got the state of Georgia. Inside that, the text says, I have a Florida in my diaper. I think you can kind of decipher that and determine what that means. Very funny from Scott. Scott, you are the winner of our golden shoe today. That is a very clever thing all the way around. By the way, speaking of those lousy, stinking Gators, our Gator Hater Countdown, do not forget that Georgia goes back to Jacksonville 171 days from right now. We think they get a win over those lousy, stinking Gators, and we think that's going to be an awful good time. We will talk to you tomorrow. It is Dog Nation Daily presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. We'll see you then, everybody. And on the podcast, time now for our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Of course, R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com. Uh, they'll take care of your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. So I was I knew I was going to get some Greek for this. Um, <laughs> so yesterday, I uh, titled the podcast, uh, whatever, 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 and I called Texas A&M an SEC rival. And I've got E-Rock and Red Dog in the Dog Nation comment section essentially saying that I was wrong for saying that A&M was an SEC rival. This is one of those things where you sometimes get in trouble with, like, the fact that you can not you can only use so many words, right? And, like, SEC rival is just a little bit shorter, even like Texas A&M. Um, 
And so sometimes you sort of have to say it that way. I'm not saying that A&M is like Georgia's rival the same way that, like, say, an Auburn or a Florida would be. That's not what I'm saying. But they are an SEC rival in that they are competing for the same stuff within the SEC. But I knew I'd get a little bit of grief for that, and I did, maybe rightly so. I just couldn't think of a different way to uh, title that. Every now and then we get uh, into a little bit of, you know, uh, I guess trouble with stuff like that. But I knew I was going to get a little bit of grief for that. But you understand what the point This is not rival in the – these two teams have a rivalry. This is rival in the fact that they are competing for the same resources and goods. So uh, kind of interesting to see that. Also interesting stuff you know, related to today's show when it comes to uh, Tyke Smith and talking about the buzz that he's really earning as a transfer that comes to Georgia and has the potential to make an impact. And then there's also this that's out there, and I've got a lot of comments related to this as of late, that you know, let's not completely close our minds off the idea of Darian Kendrick, the Clemson defensive back transfer, who shows up in multiple f- mock drafts as a, another potential first-round pick here in 2022. One of the mock drafts I saw even had Kendrick as a top-10 pick. It's a guy who's gotten a lot of uh, buzz, even if we don't quite yet know where he's going to play in 2021. Now, obviously, Kendrick's also got some legal issues hanging over his head, and I honestly don't know where that stands. But on the basis of what I've heard thus far – I wouldn't be completely turned off on the idea of taking Kendrick, given what I think I know about those legal situations right now. It's a scenario that has to be rectified, but it's not a it's not for me a disqualifier, not necessarily. So there is that uh, that is out there right now. And, you know, the idea that Georgia is still going to be somewhat active in the portal between now and the end of the summer. I think that continues to exist. I I think that's uh, probably worth paying attention to. I also, yesterday, watching social media, um, obviously just huge, huge outpouring of sadness related to the passing of Colt Brennan, who, you know, a lot of Georgia fans will remember as the quarterback on the other side of the field when, uh, when Georgia played Hawaii in the Sugar Bowl. And, you know, my memory of Brennan even goes beyond that to, you know, back then I was young, right? This is like mid 2000s. And so, this is pre-kids. I'm still in my 20s. And, you know, college football is like, has always been like the biggest thing in the world to me. And, um, you know, back then it's like, okay, you're, so you're watching college football all day in the night. And then you get the Pac-12 games that come on around like, say, 10 p.m. or so or around that time. You know, they go to about midnight. I guess they start at what, what around 8, 9 and go to around midnight or so. And then back then, back when, you know, Brennan's at Hawaii and they have, you know, they have it really cooking, right? I mean, he's, you know, putting up huge stats. Hawaii, you know, has an undefeated season there in 2007. You know, those games also are coming on really late. Hawaii's, what, two time zones west of the Pacific time zone. So, you know, you're watching all the Pac-12 and Mountain West and all that kind of football. And then after that, you've got a Hawaii game that's going to go until about 2 a.m. I mean, you could, you know, back in the Colt Brennan days at Hawaii, you could almost be watching football until the sun came up the next, you know, Sunday morning. And so, obviously, great memories. And I think one of the reasons why Brennan's so fondly remembered is because for a lot of those, you know, you know, times during his Hawaii career, he had kind of a TV window to himself. Very, very not. Just, it wasn't just him. Hawaii had players around him, but uh, there was like this very late TV window that Hawaii just dominated. Anybody who was staying up, willing to stay up to two a.m. watching college football, you're watching those you know rainbow uh, games. And Brennan was a huge part of that. And it seems like we've had a lot of these lately. Uh, you know, maybe I'm uh, overstating this, but. You know, either you know former players or in some cases back during the season, we had a couple of current players, you know, just taken from us way too soon. Just so so sad, and 
I think anybody. I mean, listen. It's it, you know, last twelve you know months, eighteen months have been hard for a lot of people, and I think all a lot of us have you know been forced to reconsider just how precious life is, especially young life. And in the case of Brennan, I, I believe he was just thirty-seven years old, if I'm remembering correctly, based on what I read yesterday. Just incredibly, in, in, incredibly sad all, all the way around. Uh, obviously, our condolences to, to his family and all, all the folks who are part of Hawaii football. This was just a just a devastating piece of news, and if you were on social media at all yesterday, you really followed that the all you know all the way through there. Very sad all the way around. So, uh, kind of a sad note to end our podcast cool down on today. But I really appreciate all of you being a part of this. And remember, you can make this a lot of fun by giving me your comments. Hit me up on that comment section at dognation.com or on Twitter at dognationdaily, and I'll react to whatever y'all want to talk about uh, related to Georgia football, related to the show, related to anything in college football or anything else. We can do all of that. I'll see you back here tomorrow for our podcast cool down brought to you by R.S. Andrews on Dog Nation Daily presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Hope you all have a good day, everybody.